Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. This is me clearing my throat. I'm getting ready for something big. Milwaukee, how you feeling this morning? How about you, Madtown? How is life in Eagle River? Stevens Point, Medford, Egg Harbor, react to me. I want to hear from Chippewa Falls, Boyceville, Butternut. Have you got a pulse? Is this on? Can you hear me? React to me. I want to hear from anybody. Anybody anywhere. Hello. Am I dead? Are you alive? Hey, because y'all did it. You did it. What up, butter knife? It's my homage to the plastic knife. Anyway, they bleeping did it. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions for the first time in 50 years. And you could not have asked for a more impressive performance. Look, I know it's very easy to be a prisoner of the moment. It is easy to think that the thing that you just saw was the greatest thing you've ever seen. However, Giannis going for 50 and 14 rebounds and five blocks in a closeout game is one of the greatest things you're ever going to see. Bleeping legend. Nobody can ever, ever question this guy's greatness ever again. Nobody can ever question anything about this guy ever again. A freaking made dude if there ever was one. Madtown, react to me. Not only for winning it, but because of where he wanted, because of how he wanted, by dropping a 50 piece in game six to complete a comeback from down 0 2 to clinch the NBA title at home. Like what I'm saying to you is there was no way in hell that guy was going to let that series go back to Phoenix. No way in hell that guy was letting anybody get back on an airplane. He was an absolute killer at both ends. You know, one of the criticisms that people have thrown around at Giannis in the past is he's just too nice. This guy's not the stone-cold, cold-blooded assassin that MJ and Kobe were. You know, the kind of dude that would snatch your soul. The kind of dude that could rip your heart out. Yeah, let's go ahead and call bullcrap on that once and for all. Go ask the Phoenix Suns how it feels to have somebody reach into your chest and rip your heart out. Because Mr. Nice Guy just did that to them. And he pissed on, tinkled on any chance that they had for some history of their own. I went to take a tinkle and came back. And that's not just showing up on the big stage when his team needed it most. Giannis dominated every single time out. Like when everybody else on the floor was gassed, he still seemed to have yet another gear. He still seemed to be the guy that had energy when nobody had any at all, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. But even more so when you consider what he did in this series, what he's done over the past few weeks, what he did on a jacked-up leg. What I'm saying is I cannot give this guy enough credit. Nobody can. For real. It is simply one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in any sport. 
and you knew this guy was ready to go from the jump when he opened up last night with that block and that bucket. Mikhail Bridges running the floor, shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. Once again comes out of nowhere and throws it off the backboard. Giannis down the other end, he takes it home. What are you waiting on? 1-800-636-8686. Remember after game four, I said that if the Bucks did come back to win this series, that that alley-oop block would be the turning point. I hate to say I told you so, but I freaking told you so. I know this dude is a two-time MVP. I know he's a defensive player of the year. He's great. We know this. But nobody could have predicted that he would go out and do actually what he did. That's how transcendent this guy is. That's how dominant this guy is. Let me give you a quick rundown of his performances in the finals. Game one, 20 points, 17 rebounds in his first game back from injury. It was a game that he wasn't even guaranteed to play. Domination. Game two, 42 points, 12 boards, four assists, three blocks. He's starting to warm up, but they're down 2-0. Game three, 41, 13, 6. First Bucks win. Game four, 26, 14, 8, and this. Now Booker with Tucker on him. Throws it up for Aiden. Shot blocked by Antetokounmpo. What a block from Giannis. Game five, 32, 9, 6, and this. Booker driving. Chicken wings again. In the lane. Holiday rips it away. 16 seconds to go to Giannis. Slam it. How about that? Game six. 50, 14, five blocks and bleeping 17 of 19 from the free throw line. The guy who fans have been mocking for weeks for his struggles at the line. The guy who Chris Paul was clowning for his free throw shooting suddenly somehow morphs into Steph Curry and Steve Nash combined. I mean, honestly, one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I mean, figure this out. In a closeout game, When his team was struggling offensively, he just keeps going right to the line and he's draining free throws like he's been doing it his entire life, like he's freaking Mark Price or something. He turned a perceived weakness. Hey, you like that one? You guys like that? Like he's Mark Price or something. This guy turns a... Thank you, Alvy. Thank you very much. Thank you so little, Alvy. He turns a perceived weakness into a strength in the most important game of his career. Like, how is that possible? Who does that? Let me answer that for you. Nobody does that. I don't remember Shaq all of a sudden going 20 for 22 from the line in a closeout game. It goes without saying they're not in that spot if not for what the freak did at the free throw line. With each trip to the line, this guy turned last night from a battle into a coronation. It's kind of funny because when people around the league think about life after LeBron, where does the conversation typically go? Where does it go? It goes to Luka. The expectation is he is the next one, that he's the one who becomes the face of the association. And for some reason, folks just gloss over the 26-year-old with two MVPs and a Defensive Player of the Year award. If you've been doing that, you owe this dude an apology. Because that guy has two MVPs, a Defensive Player of the Year award, a ring, and a Finals MVP. And yes, he is still just 26. And here's the other thing. 
he's not desperate to show you how tough he is or to prove to you what a badass he is or how hard of a dude he is. My man is all about the love. Like, he's not running on hate. He's running on joy. I'm not sure I've ever seen a more joyful killer in my life. And best of all, he did not leave to do it. He did not leave to do it. He did not join forces to create some super team somewhere else. Nothing against people who've done that. Nothing against people gaming the system. Nothing against folks taking advantage of the way it's set up. But all the credit in the world for not doing it. For not having to do it. For staying right where he was. And better yet, better yet, right where he is is Milwaukee of all places. Coming back, I was like, this is my city. You know, they, they trust me, they believed in me, they believed in us. Even when we were like, we were lost, the city still was like on our side. You know, obviously I, want, I wanted to get the job done. But that's my stubborn side. Like, it's easy to go somewhere and go and win a championship with somebody else. It's easy. I could go to a super team and, you know, just do my part and win a championship, still one. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way we chose to do it. Oh. And we did it. We did it. We did it, man. Incredible, man. Has there ever been a better superstar? A more likable superstar? And they sure as hell did do it. They sure as hell did it. He sure as hell did it. He deserves every second of this. Did man, it. and whatever you do, go ahead, Alvi. Sorry I stepped on him. But this is the hard way to do it, and this is the way we chose to do it. Oh. And we did it. We did it. We did it, man. We did it. Whatever you do, do not come in here and talk to me about injuries or about how all of this would be different if X happened or if Y didn't happen. You can say that about every year and every single champion. Do not bring that garbage around here. Giannis and his crew just fought through one of the toughest seasons you're ever going to see. And this guy's out here on a leg that looked mangled only a few weeks back. And last night, he completely emptied the tank, right to the point that this guy was still cramping up in a post-game interview. One second, I'm kind of cramping. Can you hold this, please? Uh, hey, just, just stand up, big fella. Do what you got to do. Yeah, Take your time. Ah. Uh, uh. Give me one second. I must have asked a really tough question. No, no, it was a tough question. I'm cramping. <laughs> I'm cramping. It was a tough game. Okay. Would you like so, us to give you a minute? Yeah, you. Hey, we on your schedule, champ. You, yeah, we're we're here until yeah. you're not. So. Yeah. Let me get let me get some gathering. Sorry, uh, of sorry, guys. No, don't be yeah. sorry. Look, I know he didn't intend it that way, but there's nothing more legendary than saying, I'm kind of cramping, can you hold this? And then handing the Larry O and Bill Russell trophies to somebody to hold on to for him. Uh, Which is awesome. Man, just says everything about last night from Giannis was awesome. Look, I'm not going to bury LeBron or Steph or KD or any of the guys in their 30s. They've got plenty of good ball still in them. But you don't need to look for the next thing. You don't need to look for the next thing. The next thing is already here. The next thing resides in Milwaukee. And he and they are world champions. World bleeping champions. World champion. World champions. So let me ask you this the morning after. How does the MVP 
of a world championship team celebrate like every other world champion celebrates, like every other MVP celebrates, like every other future Hall of Famer celebrates by rolling that bad boy right through the drive-in lane at the local local Chick-fil-A. Can I have a 50-piece? Sorry, I will put you... Uh, can I put your camera? Do you mind or no? Sure. I just, uh, there's 150,000 people watching you right now. Really? Yes. So can I, can I have, please, a 50-piece Mac Minis? 50, exactly. Okay. Not 51, not 49. Chicken Minis, yes. 50. And um, let me have a large drink, no ice, half Sprite, half lemonade. What a boss. The 50-piece. My man went with the 50-piece, informed her that 150 girls were watching her. Could he get a large drink, no ice? And how did he go? Like, Is that like some kind of like Arnold Palmer? Half Sprite, half lemonade? My man, Giannis. 1-800-636-8686. Fondalak! The unknown came in 2020, and that changed the workplace forever. So, while some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. The future of work has changed, so has the future of seating. X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now... X-Chair's newest innovation, L-Max Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending L-Max allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your lower back. It's absolutely incredible. X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support. And now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You will not believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. Imagine regulating your body temperature and getting massage therapy while you're working. You have to check this out. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, rome.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and save $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairrome.com right now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-WHEEL blade casters. xchairrome.com. It is incredible. Adrian Phillips is my guest. Adrian, good to have you on. How are you? Good. How about you? Good, good. So let me ask you about last season, if you don't mind. It was your first in New England. Everybody's got this perception like of the Patriot way from the outside. So what was it like for you to actually go there and be a member of that team? How would you describe the Patriot way and the experience? Man, it was it was different, you know. Uh, coming from the Chargers, you know, spent my first – six years out there and uh see how things were done you know you kind of get used to things being done a certain way and then you see from from afar how the Patriots are doing stuff you see them winning games you hear about this Patriot way like what is this what does this mean does this mean that you you just work hard is it a military mindset you hear all these different (laughs) takes about how it is and then I actually get to go there and I see that the the Patriot way is just 
basically doing your job. Just do your job. If, if everybody does what they're supposed to and holds themselves to a high standard, then more times than not, things are going to come out the way that they're supposed to go. So uh, actually being immersed in that and, and being a part of that, I know we didn't have the season that we wanted and there were some obstacles that we had to come through. But you see that from we got there, I want to say middle of July, whatever it was, all the way into the end of the season, they did not change the way they coached. They didn't change the way that they went about things. It was, it was always like holding themselves to the highest standard possible. You know, the standard is the standard. I appreciate that response. That's about as good a response as I've ever heard to the question of what exactly is the Patriot way. Adrian Phillips is joining us. So, like, one more part about that. What was it like for you to go to a new team and learn a new scheme and do so during a pandemic? Yeah, it was it was tough, especially when you uh, when you have a guy like Coach Belichick and have all these people that are around him that have been around that system for so long, and you get used to a type of verbiage, a type of uh, a type of way that a certain defense is played. Because I've been in that system for six years with with the Chargers, whatever it may be, and I go to the Patriots and. It's something totally different. It's like you have your canvas. Here's your canvas. You can paint whatever you want on it. Like we're going to give you the tools to put you in the right position, but you basically have the freedom to do whatever you want. And like the scheme's always changing, and you have to be a smart player to be in that defense. And I know that uh, you got to be smart to play any defense, but that defense specifically like, if if you aren't studying, if you aren't taking it serious, then you won't succeed. And it was a new challenge for me because I, I pride myself on being a, a smart guy when it comes to the <laughs> X's and O's. And uh, like that was a that was a huge challenge for me, and it, it 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 gave me another level of understanding and another level of love for like the schematics behind stuff. Adrian Phillips joining us. So you had to step your game up even intellectually, mentally, but then your role, right, is so interesting because I listed you as a safety at the top of the mm-hmm. interview, but the truth is you played in the front seven quite a bit last year. In fact, as you've said, your first few years in the league, you played on the back end, but you've been moving up ever since then. What's that process been like for you? Yeah, like people try to define me, you know, and ask me do I play safety or do I play linebacker, and I tell them I just play defense. Wherever I need to line up on the field to get the job done, that's where I'm going to be. So uh, I was in the front seven quite a bit last year, and it's it's been more and more since I stepped into the league. You know, I've kind of been getting closer to the line. You kind of see that with a a lot of guys, a lot of safety types around the league. Just the game is changing. The backs are getting faster. Receivers are are more amazing. Like, you just need – more speed on the field and you need guys that can be able to cover receivers and uh be able to play in the box like and with safety you kind of have the perfect package in both if you find the right guy so i was able to do it i showed that i was able to do it a long time ago and uh i think coach bill saw that and he tried me out and started succeeding at it so if it's not broke don't fix it
Adrian, it seems to me like if you play closer and closer to the line of scrimmage, guys might be getting faster and more athletic. I know the guys on the line are not getting any smaller, right? So when these big fellas are coming off the ball and they see a safety and they're looking to maul that safety, it seems to me even as physical as you might be, some guys in your position might not want any part of that battle. What's it like dealing with those big guys up front? How do you uh, approach it? Yeah, you definitely got to have a mindset for it, and it's not for everybody. You know, you're going to have some good days and you're going to have some bad days. But fortunately for me, I've had more good than bad. And uh, you kind of get to the point, you know, most teams, when they start out, they're like, ah, we're going to leave this guy on block. We're not really going to worry about him. We're going to worry about the other guys. And then you start making plays, and they're like, all right, no matter what, we're not letting this little dude make these plays in the front seven. Like, we're not going to – we're not going to let him come in here and think that he can bang with us. And uh, so they start coming after you. They start seeing what you're made of. And that's when you really have to really have to look inside yourself and say, hey, am I, am I built for this? And I am. I believe that I am. So, you know, it's just me versus them. One of us is going to win, and like, I'm going to choose me every time. You're going to bet on you. In fact, that's you made the ultimate bet, Adrian, right, when coming out of college. You're entering your eighth year. As I mentioned off the top, you were undrafted. Most guys who come out who go undrafted never play a single down in the NFL, let alone eight seasons, and then go on to become an all-pro. How much pride then is there for you when you look back on your entire career? You know, it was uh, it was something that really caught me off guard because – Coming out of college, you know, you hear all this stuff that uh, you got all these people talking to you, yeah, we're going to take you second, third round, whatever it may be, blah, blah, blah. And then it ends up not happening. And then you end up sitting at home for a month. And now it's like I got a decision that I got to make right now. I'm either when I get my opportunity, I'm either going to blow it or I'm not coming back home. Like there, I told myself there was no way that I was coming back home. I was going to do whatever I had to do to make sure that I made my stamp in the league. And that's basically what I did. Like, betting on myself and believing in myself 100% and just putting everything out there that I know I had and just putting all that positive energy out into the universe and knowing that it was going to come back and just making the best of each opportunity that I, that I got. So, I mean, having said that, like you had that that moment, right? That epiphany or that burn the boats moment, whatever that thing was that you just said. I, I get exactly what you're saying. Do you think you would have had that moment had you been selected in the third round? In other words, would you have had the same career or because you were not taken, do you think that actually you you benefited from that? You're better for it. Yeah, like looking on the back end of it uh, and seeing where I am right now, getting the Pro Bowl, getting the All-Pro bid and still being in the league eight years and generally being healthy, you know, uh, I think I benefited from, well, I know I've benefited from not being drafted. Like, who's to say where I would have been if I was a third round? Maybe I would have been complacent. You know, I'm not that type of guy, but you just never know. But honestly, not getting drafted lit a fire under me that's just, like, going to never die because I know how it feels to, to sit at home I know how it feels to see those names go across the ticker and you not be one of them, and I know how it feels to be forgotten, and I never want to fit. I never want to be forgotten again. So I'm gonna do everything that I got to do to make sure that I'm remembered and make sure that I make myself proud and my family proud.
Like I always say, man, if you could bottle that stuff, dude, and you could sell it or you can inject people with it, that'd be like the best thing. Your wife, right. <laughs> your wife Camille, is a doctor. I want to ask you about that really quickly. And you said that she was somebody that you relied upon for wisdom and advice during the past season. From a COVID standpoint, what types of things did she tell you? Basically, uh, she was on me every day, you know, because she was on the front line and uh, I just want to give a shout out to everybody that was on the front line that helped in any way that they could do COVID just because last year was a troubling year for all of us and so many loved ones were lost and, you know, my heart goes out to those people that are still grieving from that. But she was, it was something that we had to talk about, uh, like, was I was I even going to participate in the season, you know? And uh, if I did participate, like, what steps were I going to take? So she was a part of those conversations, like, not specifically with the NFLPA, but, uh, like, listening on the calls and hearing about the, uh, the precautions that we were going to take and stuff like that, like, Cause she wanted us to be sure that if I was gonna be if I was gonna be playing in, in last season that I was gonna be doing everything possible to stay safe and keep everybody else safe. So um, I talked to her pretty much every day, and she she was asking me if I got tested, asking me if I was washing my hands, make sure you're wearing your mask. Like there would be times I wouldn't even be around people; I'd be outside and we'd be FaceTiming, and I have my you know I have my mask below my nose, and she's like, hey pull your mask up right now. I'm like, dang, like, <laughs> you, you know, I'm outside, nobody's around, but I get it. She was on the first line. She seems both sides of it. So there was like no gig with her. And I appreciate that from her. And she just kept me on my toes. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkled donut. There is a ton in the world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off, like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all these terms that your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Learn about these investment products and more at Investor.gov, your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. So, great moment after the game last night, not involving Ritt, but involving Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis Jr. sitting down with NBA TV. Portis had a bottle of champagne on his lap. The first question was pretty obvious. The answer, even better. First and foremost, how much champagne have each of you consumed? Just, I, I feel like it's important before we get into this interview. <laughs> oh, look at the smile. I t- hey, hey, I'm going to take over, Kristen. First, I'm going to go. That'd be like me saying, hey, uh, Rit, before we start the day, I think it's really important to get into how many chicken McNuggets you've had this morning. (laughs) 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 Anyway, if the question is, how much champagne have you had? And the answer is silence followed by that laughter. Then the answer is a lot. The answer is all of it. And they, what a great response that was. Man, they should. All of Wisconsin should. In fact, I know all of Wisconsin has. And it's awesome because 
of the two guys who gave it because they're proof that it's not a one-man team. Last night and the championship was not just about Giannis. It starts with Giannis. Giannis was amazing. Chris Middleton, though, did not have his best game in the series. In fact, far from it. But he had his best when they needed it most, like on this bucket late. Who's going to step up here? Giannis has had a 49-point game. He's at the right elbow. Less than a minute to play. Middleton comes around. Takes a jumper. Good! Right side by Middleton. 102-96. to Bucks radio. I mean, given how tired that guy seemed in that moment, and given how tired that guy must have been in that moment, when he pulled up for that shot, Bucks fans had to have been like, no, yes! yes! I mean, that was clutch as hell. And that's who Chris Middleton is. Clutch as hell. There's a reason why they call him Cash Middleton. And then he proved it again a few seconds later when he hit two free throws to stretch that lead to eight and pretty much put that game on ice. This is a guy who was a second-round draft pick, a D-League player, now an all-star, now an Olympian, now an NBA champion. And like Giannis, he has been there all along. And like Giannis, he took heat after last year's brutal run in the bubble. But it wasn't just Giannis and it wasn't just Middleton who took that heat. It was Pat Connaughton, the baseball and basketball star who had one of the funkiest stat lines you're ever going to see from a guard in a playoff game. No points, eight rebounds, and one assist. And then the Bucks front office took a lot of heat after last year. There was big pressure to make a big move. Remember, do it. Do it. You're going to alienate Giannis. You might risk losing Giannis. Do it now. The championship window is about to slam shut. You've got to make that deal. So they did. They went out and they got Drew Holiday. And if you're wondering why they got Drew Holiday, last night should have answered that question. Yes, he did not have his shot working last night. And it had to have been tough for some Bucks fans to watch. Four of 19 from the field. But still a force. You know, guys like that know that even when their shot's not falling, they can still make plays. They can still find ways to help their team win. And he did. 12 points. I mean, you want to talk about an unusual stat line. 4 of 19 shooting, but 12 points, 11 assists, and 9 boards. As close to a triple-double in a closeout game as you could possibly be. And again, his defense was huge. Maybe not with that defining defensive moment like he had in Game 5 when he had that rip job on Devin Booker. But this guy still makes life miserable for whoever he's guarding. And they did give up a ton to get him, but it was worth it. Every bit and more. Then you've got my guy, P.J. Tucker. P.J. freaking Tucker. Anthony Leon Tucker. NBA champion. Couldn't be happier for that guy, honestly. I mean, I don't root, but I couldn't be happier for that particular guy. This has always been a big P.J. Tucker house because I love how he approaches the game. I love this guy's story. I love how hard he had to grind overseas just to get to the NBA. A guy who played in Israel, Ukraine, Greece, Italy, Germany. He was about to go play in Russia before he got a shot on the Suns Summer League team. He parlayed that into a chance with the Suns, then the Raptors, then the Rockets, now the Bucks. Once he got to the association, he carved out a role for himself. 
and it's one that nobody accepts or does better than he does. Like, this guy will guard anybody, anytime, no matter the cost. Doesn't matter how big they are. Doesn't matter how strong they are. Doesn't matter how quick they are. Doesn't matter how athletic they are. None of it matters. Because P.J. Tucker is going to give you absolutely everything he has every time to stop whoever's in front of him. And now that guy's an NBA champion. I mean, I could keep going down the roster, but I've only got time to address one more player. And if you know the Bucks, you know who I'm talking about. Bobby Portis Jr., the man, the myth, the local legend, the guy who until recently was most famous for caving in a teammate's face in Chicago. But he has become an icon in Milwaukee because this dude battles his ass off. Did you hear the crowd after the game? Did you hear the love and respect that they have for him and he has for them? For 10 months straight, I was at home just working out, you know, real depressed, uh, just real down on myself um, about not being invited to the bubble with my team. Um, having a chance just to go home and work out and hang out with my mom. Um, I found peace again. I found peace in my life. And coming here, man, was the best thing that ever happened to me, man. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Let's go, book. Let's go, book. Let's go, book. Let's go, book. My man. And let's not get this confused or twisted. This is not just a mere energy guy. He had 16 and three last night. He came up huge when they needed him most. He loves them. They love him. Then I got to get to the coach, Mike Budenholzer. And now is a good time for all of you all to get your apologies ready for him too because most of you were ready to write this guy off. Most of you had this guy fired weeks ago. Now he also is an NBA champion. So I'll say it for him. How do you like him now? This is a guy who was allegedly coaching for his job in every series. Hell, there were even people suggesting that his job was in jeopardy even after the Bucks got to the finals, but they went down two games to none. I mean, less than a couple of weeks back. So if this guy were to be the guy to grab a mic last night and go all chase Utley with it, I would have cheered. I'm only sorry that he didn't do that. I'm only sorry that he wasn't the one to grab the mic, get up on the scorer's table and say, tell me how my ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. In fact, I'll do it for him. Go ahead. Tell Boots how his ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. I'm going to do that for him because you know he would never do that. He's not that guy. He's not about that. He's not that guy. He's not about that. But I'll tell you what he is. He's an NBA champion. And he did it against one of the best coaches in the league, Monty Williams. To paraphrase LeBron James from last year, Coach Mike Budenholzer wants his respect. I want my damn respect, too. Boots wants his damn respect. He's not going to ask you for it. Hell, you know what? Knowing this guy, he might not even want it. When he's got a ring, he doesn't really need your respect, but you better give it to him anyway because he earned it. For years, everybody's talked about what the Bucks aren't, what changes they have to make, what they don't do, who they don't have, and so on. Now they're NBA champs. So how do you like them now? Just go ahead. Tell them how their collective 
ass tastes. Tell me how my ass tastes. Or if you don't, you might get Bobby Portis's hands. And trust me, you don't want them hands. No one does. No one does. If any of the Bucks players, coaches, trainers, employees, anybody listening right now, let me speak for everybody who won't do it who should. The media, the Twitter skeptics, the doubters, the non-believers, the cynics. Man, they were wrong. They were all wrong. They were all wrong, and they all owe you an apology. In fact, you know what? An emailer asked for it earlier this week. An emailer said, Rome, if and when we do finish, for all those people who took all those runs, who took all those shots at us, who counted us out, you've got to hit them, all of them, all of America who doubted us with the reverse manual buzzer, Rome. I said, you know what? That's a good idea. If, in fact, you do finish, that's exactly what I will do. So, Alvin, why don't we do that right now? For everybody who talked junk, who counted them out, who said that Giannis was a complimentary player and not a superstar, that Mike Budenholzer couldn't get it done, the Bucks would never win. For everybody who thought that or said that or tweeted that, this is for you. <laughs> The sound of the reverse manual buzzer. Man, I had to do that. Just like Paul's dog, a wrong had to be righted, Alvin. The reverse manual buzzer. Hey, Bucks fan, how'd that sound? Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business and be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak to a Dell Technologies advisor today. So for the Suns last night, that's a gut punch. I mean, that's like one of the most brutal losses possible. You go from up two games to none to losing four straight. And if you didn't know how painful that was, all you had to do was check out head coach Monty Williams after the game. Monty, now that you've been through your first finals, can you process what you've learned from it or is that going to take a while? I think it's going to take me a minute, you know. Um... I just don't take it for granted. It's hard to get here. And uh, I wanted it so bad, you know. It's hard to process right now. It's hard, you know. That's, that's all. Thank you, Coach. Hmm. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about how hard it is to get there and then how hard it is to get there and lose once you get there. That tells you everything you need to know about Monty as a man and a leader. That that not only was his reaction, but he went to the Bucks locker room after the game. You can see what he was dealing with. 
and he still went to the Bucks locker room after the game to congratulate them. I just wanted to come and congratulate you guys as a man, as a coach. Um, you guys deserve it, and um, I'm, I'm thankful for the experience. You guys made me a better coach. You made us a better team. Congratulations. Man, this guy is absolutely amazing. Not that anybody in the game needed any kind of reminder of the kind of coach or the kind of person that Monty is, but that was as classy as it gets. Classy as hell. In fact, classy does not even come close to describing that moment. He's dealing with everything that he's dealing with, and then he takes time to go to the the party and congratulate the Bucks. I mean, I, I can't say enough about that. Because getting to the finals is so hard, and then losing once you get there is even tougher. That's why that shot of Devin Booker watching the confetti fall and say, damn, is so haunting because the Suns were that close. The Suns had an amazing season. It was not that long ago that this is a team that couldn't even crack 20 wins. And this year, they were two wins away from a championship. They were one win away from getting a chance to win it all at home. That's why that's so painful. And for Chris Paul, that's got to really, really hurt. And this is not an attempt to turn everything into a Chris Paul narrative. Like, I'm not going to go to Devin Booker and ask how disappointed he is that he could not win a championship for Chris Paul. But this was Chris Paul's first look in 16 years. Probably the best look he's ever going to get. The only way that guy could have an even better look and not win is if he had been up three games to none and lost. But getting to the finals, getting up 2-0, only to lose, is going to stick to him, and that's going to haunt him forever. And you can't put that on Scott Foster. Yeah, I know. Chris Paul lost another game that Scott Foster reft. But Foster was not the reason why. Less than two weeks ago, it looked like Chris Paul had it made. His guys had a 2-0 lead. He needed two wins in five games to wrap it up. He was going to get his ring. The journey was going to be complete. The narrative arc would have been wrapped. He was going to make history. Well, he made history all right. The worst kind of history because with last night's loss, the stat's incredible. He became the first player in NBA history to blow a 2-0 series lead four times. I mean, that's incredible for all the wrong reasons. It's tough to blow a 2-0 lead especially when you're that great of a player. It's tough to blow a 2-0 lead. It's even tougher to do it twice. But to do it four times, including once in the finals, man, that is a wild stat. Like, on the one hand, I want to say, there's no way that's true. Not for that guy. It's impossible to wrap my head around the fact that the point god has blown four 2-0 leads in the playoffs. And in a matter of days, Chris Paul went from making the best kind of history to the worst kind of history, and it's all been ripped apart. But it's not all on him. Not all of it, but a good chunk of it. Because he picked some bad games to have bad games. That middle stretch of the series, which was loaded with uncharacteristic turnovers and shoddy play when Booker was not on the floor, man, kind of weird and uncharacteristic. You know, and that mystique of him being this all-knowing leader who could guide teams through tough times, that's gone too. You had a 2-0 lead. Everything was going your way. I'm not looking to kick a guy while he's down. But here's why this loss is going to haunt him. Here's why. It's only going to get tougher. I know the Suns are great. I know they're going to improve. I'm all in with these guys. 
but here's who else is going to improve. Here's who else is going to get better. Anthony Davis is going to get healthy. So will LeBron and Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard. And that's just the West we're talking about. We're talking about four guys who either were not right or didn't even play against the Suns during the playoff run. Then in the East, you're going to have to deal with the Bucs. They're not going anywhere. You know, at some point, the Nets are going to get their big three on the court all at the same time, right? So while other teams were falling apart, Chris Paul actually stayed healthy. He got dinged early on, but in the end, was healthy. That's the wild thing about this ride. There wasn't that hamstring or that shoulder injury that knocked him out or ended his season. He was the guy that was still standing when everybody else was breaking down. He was the guy who was healthy when everybody else was going down. So, can this happen again? He said it himself. I'm not going to retire. I'm going back to work. All right. All right, cool. But can you make another run like that at age 37? Nobody knows better than Chris Paul how hard it is to win a championship. Everybody in that locker room know we had enough, you know, but it wasn't enough. So we got to figure it out. I think for me, I'll just look at myself and figure out how I can get better, what I could have done more, and make sure I come back next season ready to, uh, to do it again. I mean, that's the truth, right? When you know you have enough and it's still not enough, When you know you have enough, and you know it's enough because you're up 2-0, and it's still not enough, man. That is the ultimate blast to the package. No pun intended. You want to talk about getting punched in the nuts. Until you wake up and you realize, you know know what the most sobering part is? Not that you didn't get it done, but that you didn't get it done, and you got to start all over again. And this time it's going to be tougher. Like everything broke the right way for you. So if ever there was a year for Chris Paul to win a championship, it was this year. And he didn't. He came as close as he could possibly come. And now it's got to feel like it's so far away to start over again. Like, if not now, then when? How is that guy ever going to have a better look at it than he just did? He'll be 37 the next time the finals roll around. So his first look was his best look. It might be his only look. Because it's only going to get tougher. And then you've got the reality of retiring ringless. It's getting more and more likely. No shame in that. There have been some other great players that didn't win at all. Like my guy Chuck. Charles Barkley. All-time great. Didn't win a ring. Of course, the difference is everybody loves Chuck. And almost everybody thinks that Chris Paul is a nut puncher. But that's not fair to Paul. I mean, he he is that, but he's also an all-time great. An all-time great player, but maybe an all-time great player without a ring. Like, the thing that's got to be so tough, man, he had that chance. Not only had a chance to change the narrative, but it actually had started to change. We were talking about it. We almost assumed it. Like, I was even talking about it on the program, like, two games in. Like, it's it's all changing. It's going to be a coronation it's not a question of if, but it's a matter of when. It's a question of whether or not the Bucks even win a game. And then here we are. Here the bleep we are. Here we are. Man, this guy had it. Had it. Had it in the palm of his hands. Had the ring on his finger. Only to have it slip off and drop into the gutter. And now he's got to start over. And the narrative is right there. Can't finish when it matters. 
and nut puncher, which is not entirely fair. Not entirely unfair. Chris Herring joins me once again. Chris, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good, good, dude. Listen, lots to talk about and a lot of different stories from last night. But before we get to Giannis and the Bucks, I've got to get to the biggest story of last night. Where is your laptop right now? And what happened to it last night? Lord, um, I, you know, it's funny. They televise these press conferences, these media conferences and on the big stage like this. I placed mine on the floor as I was about to ask a question of Chris Middleton, just not wanting to look like I wasn't paying attention as I'm being televised, you know, and not wanting to look like I'm on Twitter or anything like that. I put it on the floor as I was asking a question and then forgot to pick it back up before I left the room. And so that was probably midnight. I walked out of the arena with, with some friends that were going to their hotel. And I, I stayed at a suburban hotel because all the hotels downtown are sold out. Um, and so I Ubered all the way to my suburban hotel about 30, 35 minutes away. Um, got back to my room. I had a story due at 6 this morning. Uh, so I went back to go you know, write my story up, biggest story of the season, arguably, after I've gotten all my interviews done. And my laptop's not there. And then, I, you know, you get that wave of anxiety. You're like, oh, my God, I left my laptop at the arena half an hour away in a city where Ubers are not really available because, of, you know, it's a crazy night in Milwaukee. So um, luckily, NBA PR, you know, grabbed a computer. They didn't know whose it was, but I was able to connect with someone. They left it at the front desk of the, you know, the media hotel back downtown. But that took about an hour and a half. So I got my computer back at about three and, you know, had to crank away on the biggest story of the year with about two hours to do it with nothing pre-written at all. So it's kind of a nightmare, but the story's up online. Hopefully it doesn't read like it's too rough. But, uh, yeah, a little bit stressful. That, Dude, I, I got to tell you something. I don't know how many people listening can relate to that story that you just told. That is <laughs> wild, man. That is wild. It's one thing to lose or forget your laptop. I've done that. I've left it in, like, airport security and gotten on the plane and not have it. But to Ooh. not have it and have to file on the biggest night of all and to go back and find it, that is a wild story. So good job. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. So then the other story, the second big story. Story of the night, Giannis and the Bucks winning a title. I mean, there's so many places where we could start, but as you look back on that night, once you get beyond the nightmare that was the laptop, what are the thoughts <laughs> that you have? What do you when you think back on that night and that game? What are you going to remember the most? I think it was just that they figured Phoenix out, um, which you know, you watched the first two games of that series, it would have been hard to imagine that. But you know, and this was the way I wrote the story once I got the laptop back. This was kind of what Milwaukee had, had worked for. You know, they'd come up short the last two years in really disappointing fashion. They had the most wins in the league two years ago. They had the most wins in the league last year. And I wouldn't say they overhauled everything, but they obviously got rid of Bledsoe. They threw the farm at Drew Holiday as far as draft picks to try to get Giannis to lock into that Supermax. And then they started this season, and they tweaked their offense significantly, an offense that has been top five for the last few years. They tweaked it. And, you know, Giannis looked uncomfortable at the beginning of the season. His numbers were down. They were scoring a bunch. But, you know, as I wrote in my story, um, they gave up 110 points or more six games in a row. They had a five-game losing streak in February, which is the longest they'd had in, in Giannis's tenure, basically. Um, and they were 16-13 and 13 through 29 games. They, they were just an average-looking team, but they were kind of tearing stuff down purposely in hopes of really trying to – make themselves able to withstand whatever would be thrown at them in the postseason to show different looks, to try different looks, to try different lineups. Um, 
And quite frankly, when you look at, you know, I think the Brooklyn series was kind of its own thing with those injuries. But when you look at that series and them coming back from 2-0 there um, and, you know, having the battle to win that series, even with Brooklyn banged up, to have to really battle with Atlanta. And I think being down 2-0 here, um, I think there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, it didn't phase them quite as much because they kind of had been designed and kind of programmed to kind of work through this. And by the end of it all, they had more experience playing together, even with a lot of new faces on this team, than any of these other teams that they were playing at this sort of stage. And so I think that helped them. And, and by the end of the series, it really did feel like they just figured it out. I think they're the third team in finals history to lose the first two games of a series and then come back and win the last four. And I think that speaks volumes. And I think it should force us a little bit to rethink the way that we talk about somebody like Giannis for all the flaws that he's got. And really, I would say there's one really key flaw. And I, you know, I, I don't think we need to make it as if he's just totally flawed. He's not a great shooter, and we know he's not a good shooter, and we know that. But if that's one of your only flaws and you could do everything else that he can do, um, that's a pretty damn good player. And when you look at his resume as a 26-year-old now, um, he made a joke last night that really rookie of the year is really the only award the man doesn't possess. Um, and that's that's a hell of a thing to say for a 26-year-old. Chris Herring joining us, my man. Like, why did you sweat not having a laptop? You could have just thumbed that out on your iPhone or dictated that into the phone. <laughs> it's all right there for you. Listen, when you talk about the way we have to rethink certain things for certain people and the types of adjustments that they made, like they were 16 and 13, maybe they weren't struggling, maybe they were kind of look, looking for certain ways or certain things that they might use in the postseason. If we're rethinking things or people, what about Mike Budenholzer? What does that tell us about his willingness to adapt and change? Whew. Um, I had a, a buddy yesterday. He said something that kind of blew my mind. And he was like, look, if the Bucks win tonight, you know what I would do, and this will sound crazy. And I said, what? Uh, well, Sean Powell, a uh, really good NBA reporter, he said, if I'm Mike Budenholzer, I, just, I win tomorrow and I just quit. <laughs> I said, huh. what? And, and he said, there's no up from here. I mean, th- these fans wanted him out. The media was kind of already counting him out. You could make the argument that maybe Bucks management would have wanted him out if they lose that Brooklyn series. It would have been a really bad look to lose that series as shorthanded as Brooklyn was, James Harden playing on one leg, Kevin Durant having to do everything by himself, and you've just given up the farm again for Drew Holiday. Um, and we've been on Mike Budenholzer for years now about the lack of adjustment. He made the adjustments in this series right after game one. They didn't win game two, but they looked much better in game two. They won games three, four, five, and six. So, you know, if we have to rethink Giannis and the criticisms of Giannis, and again, most of those things boil down to the same criticism, uh, which is kind of funny to think about it that way. Um, you know, I don't know what that looks like in a modern day context where championship normally buys you a lot of runway. I don't completely know whether that's true, but I mean, let's be real here, Jim. Uh, does anybody really think Milwaukee should be viewed as the favorite next year? So I, you know, I, I don't know what people's expectations are. Uh, I don't think people feel that Milwaukee has the best roster in the league. Even if you think that, there's a very good chance that Bobby Portis will have a lot of money thrown at him from different places. Um, so whether you can keep this team together with the money that you've got to pay Drew and Chris Middleton and Giannis, I have no clue. But, uh, you know, Mike Budenholzer deserves a ton of credit. If, if not for, you know, the way that that Brooklyn series was coached, then, you know, the fact that they were able to get by Atlanta without Giannis in those last two games, and I've certainly in this series, certainly the back end of this series, I would say really the last five games of the series, he coached his butt off. 
Chris Herring is joining us. Chris, I love the way you started out by saying, I had this conversation with a friend, and then for a moment you were not going to mention the friend, but I'm really glad that you did mention him by name, Sean Powell. I love Sean Powell. I haven't talked to him great. in a few years. He's come on the program quite a bit. I love him. So next time you talk He's to great. him, tell him I said what's up. I'm glad you mentioned him by name. You mentioned Bobby Portis, too. So, yeah, he's going to have opportunities. People will throw money at him. You've spent time in Milwaukee. So let me ask you, how beloved is Bobby Portis in that city right now? I'm trying to wrap my head around the last time, like, this folk hero sort of thing. I mean, I've, you know, I've spent time in Cleveland and the J.R. Smith stuff. And, you know, I think every fan base has that one guy. You know, Cleveland had Matthew Delvadova, whatever. That's one thing. I mean <laughs> – I saw stuff, and I, I, I didn't have a way to document it. I haven't asked questions. I guess I haven't worked on a story about it. But I've seen stuff about him having, like, the best-selling jersey over the last couple months here locally. Um, and, you know, maybe that's that most people already have a Giannis jersey. Um, there, there was a, a father who was hoisting his son on his shoulders right in front of me in the crowd yesterday. And, you know, the little kid, you know, maybe all of a foot and a half tall, he's got a Giannis jersey, and then his dad is wearing one too. And I thought it was just this adorable scene. But the fact that Bobby Portis, I mean, just it, the the volume of when they won the title last night, I feel like it was probably only equivalent to just, you know, every time they would chant Bobby um, throughout the game, whenever he would check in, whenever he would make a shot. And it's like something I've never seen. And, uh, and I mean, he talked about what that has done for his confidence. I can't remember, you know, I'm, I'm a relatively young guy, but I can't really remember anything that was like this passionate for someone that, He's he's a he's a decent player. Like he has very very clear flaws, which is why I think you've seen him. You know, in a couple of other big markets, Chicago and New York, kind of fizzle out to where you know you question whether he's truly worth what he's being paid. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I could actually see him wanting to stay here, even though you know I can't imagine that they're going to be able to offer the same money that he'll get elsewhere. So I, I don't know. It'll probably give him something to think about because he's really talked about this. It's having kind of saved him that he really wasn't in a good mental space, you know, with the kind of criticism he was getting in other markets. He's loved here, and it's, I mean, it's more than a love affair, and it's very interesting to see it play out. You know, I think, Chris Herring, my guest, I think what he said, it was so real, and it was kind of raw when he said, hey, man, I was in a bad place. I was really in a bad yeah. place. I was at home. I was with my mom, and then I started to work out, and I started to feel better, and I, I thought that he was very, really honest and real about that. You know, you use a couple of words, Chris, I think are interesting, like that father-son deal with the jerseys was, quote, adorable, and then he's beloved here. Like, I, I normally wouldn't use words like this, but then I think about Giannis. And and Giannis, I've never seen a more joyful or joyous assassin than Giannis or a happier, more inspiring guy than Giannis. Like, how lucky is the league to not only have this guy, but to have this guy where they have this guy? Oh, my goodness. If, if you're talking about growing the sport globally, which, you know, the league hasn't expanded in a while, Um they haven't had to when you just think about just how global the sport has become. You can't get a PR email from the league without them mentioning how many countries are tuning into the all-star game or the finals or, you know, how many countries are represented with the reporters that are covering the finals or what have you. I mean, this is a guy that represents more than one country um, who, I mean, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to read Mirren Fader's book. I'm a friend of hers that comes out in a couple weeks on Giannis and what, who could have better timing than she does with that. Um, I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody in the league with a story like this guy. I mean, a guy that, you know, I don't want to say that he was essentially homeless, but I mean, they were getting evicted left and right. 
and a guy that, you know, if we want to be honest about what probably played into his growth spurt when he got to the league was just that he was eating for the first time, you know, truly eating the amount that somebody his size really needed to eat and really having enough to eat for the first time. Um, he just has an incredible, incredible story. And, you know, it's funny. He, he's obviously humble for somebody that's as accomplished as he is. I think that he has a little bit of an ego, but it's like a healthy one. And his perspective on the game is like nothing. I mean, it, the guy sounds like, you know, um, an inspirational Twitter account or something, <laughs> like a, a motivational speaker sort of stuff with the way he speaks. It's just you couldn't really script a guy that comes across better and more genuinely than he does. And, uh, you know, I don't care one way or the other who wins or loses from game to game, but I, I can't imagine that, you know, if you don't have a rooting interest that you, you know, that you don't like this guy. Um, and certainly if you like him, that, you know, that you're on cloud nine watching him win a championship. And, you know, maybe it makes you feel a certain way if you're a huge Durant fan or LeBron fan. But I imagine there are a lot of people that are really happy to see someone win it who just kind of grew with one organization and didn't really go out and get a bunch of guys that were just superstar talent to come team up with them. He made light of that last night. And I, you know, I, I think there's probably truth to that, that, People, maybe that engages a certain fan that maybe has kind of fallen out of love with the NBA in the super team era. But, you know, this is a really rare sort of thing, and it's really cool to watch. He is a, I agree with you, it is really cool to watch. He is a senior writer at Sports Illustrated, co-host of Open Floor SI's NBA show. Also, as I mentioned, he is currently working on a book with the working title of Blood on the Hardwood, the Flagrant History of the 1990s New York Knicks. Chris, great job. Glad you got the lapper back. Glad you got that thing filed in time. Great to have you on the show today, man. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate you having me on. Let's go to the phones. First stop today, Matt Town, Madison, Vincent. What's going on, Vincent? How are you? Thanks for the vine, Jimmy. How's my Wisconsin brother doing today? Dude, I'm so good, man. How, geese, how about us? You still got that geese problem, man? You still got that geese problem? Because I, I can I can recommend somebody to you. What do you got? Giannis Antetokounmpo can walk into that town, take a Phoenix Suns player, swing it around by the neck, and end that problem for you, man. It's the same thing. We don't have a Suns problem anymore. It's a great day in God's country, Jimmy. And um, just a quick shout-out. Hey, Suns and Four guy. Suns and Four guy, did you enjoy your little 15 minutes of fame, buddy? Did you? Because it's over now. Tell me how my ass tastes. Jimmy, I'm going to go back and uh, have an old style in God's country and celebrate Giannis Antetokounmpo being the best NBA player right now and for the foreseeable future. Have a good day, my Wisconsin brother. Hope to see you in Eagle River real soon. My man, Vincent Rackham. Susie and Wisco. Susie, good morning. How are you? Oh, good morning, Jim. Thanks. Uh, first, I want to say, we're the heck out of the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, not only because it was a magnificent year and a sensational game, but even though my brother has passed, I know he was watching from somewhere, and he was so freaking happy that it brought tears to my eyes. So I'm super grateful as a fan and as a sister. Thanks. You got it, Susie. I'm sure he was watching. Sorry for your loss. I don't care if you have a take, and you do suck. Do what you want if you're a Bucks fan. Mike, good to have you, Mike. What's going on? Romy, thank you for the vibe. We are here. It was not one. It was not two, three, four, five. It was Bucks in six. Man, we got the greatest player to touch the ball right now in Giannis Antetokounmpo. We got that blue-collar dog.
dog mentality like Bonnie Mother Bleepin' Portis. We're looking at this as not one, two, three. We're going to be winning back-to-back-to-back championships here. Y'all can say, y'all can hate that we won because of injury, but you look at a guy like Giannis putting up 50 points on a wheel that was supposed to be blown out. There's no stopping us, man. My man, Mike in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Can you feel Bucks fan? They are hyped. Let's go to Fond du Lac. Craig, good to have you, Craig. How are you? Jim, Jim, how you doing? Partying like rock stars last night. Watching Giannis, not my house. You're not taking it in my house. And now the NBA's on notice. This is the house. This is the house you have to come to. And by the way, Aaron, there's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Giannis. My man, Craig. We go to Appleton. Greg, good to have you. Greg, how are you? Hey, how you doing today? Great. How are you today? Oh, I'm absolutely fantastic. Got to stay in Wisconsin and watch uh, the Bucks win for the first time. I was in kindergarten the last time they won. Um, and Wisconsin has such loyal fans. Um, that's why I feel he stayed in Wisconsin instead of going somewhere else for the big money. That's the thing, right? I think, nice job, Greg. Congratulations. He said he was in kindergarten the last time they won. Pretty long wait, my man. So why did he stay? He said he stayed to Fond du Lac. Spending a lot of time there today. Brian, you are next. It's good to have you, Brian. How are you? Um, Jim, how's it going, man? Great. How about you? Good. That's awesome feeling, man. It's been a long time. It's up there. It's up there. It's up there with, um, I'm 43 years old and I watched the Green Bay Packers win the championship in 96 and it's up there with that. And it's, it's just awesome feeling, man. It's real great. Awesome. And, um, yeah, if you ever, uh, I know you're from, or I know uh, that you're from LA and then you, vac- you vacation in Eagle River, man, but you should take a, take your family up to Door County, man. It's awesome up there. I don't know if you've ever been up there, but really awesome up there but i gotta get back to work man i've been on the phone for like on hold for an hour but i'm out hey brian get back to work man before you get in trouble good night 